Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, a growing body of research is shedding light on depression that's triggered by fatherhood. Studies find some 10% of U.S. men experience postpartum depression during the first year of a baby's life. But a lack of knowledge and social stigma can keep them from getting help. We look at the latest research, the signs of depression in the postpartum period, and what can be done to address it. Join us after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Researchers have long known about the risk of maternal postpartum depression and the hormone changes that can contribute to it. But paternal postpartum depression is less talked about or understood. That's starting to change with the realization that the mental health of non-birthing parents is also essential to newborn health and bonding. And Dr. Craig Garfield is professor of pediatrics at Northwestern and has researched and written extensively on the mental health of fathers and paternal postpartum depression. Welcome to Forum, Dr. Garfield. It's nice to be here. It's nice to have you on. And also to clarify for me, I, I always thought postpartum depression was associated with the dramatic and, and fairly rapid hormone fluctuations and physical changes that that women or birthing parents go through after delivery. But I'm realizing it includes a lot more than that. Can you remind us what postpartum depression means and what it encompasses? Sure. I think that's part of the story. And um, those shifts in hormones do impact mothers. And we know that. And that can be part of the, the puzzle of figuring out postpartum depression. Um, there, research has recently shown that um, those shifts also do occur in fathers with shifts in their hormones, hormones as well, um, including uh, decreases in testosterone, decreases in cortisol that then increase in the postpartum period. So there's a complicated hormonal soup that's going on 
uh, with both parents as they transition into, into parenthood. Um, but there are other risk factors as well that are important to remember for mothers as well as fathers with um, uh, a past history of mental health problems, um, depression and poverty, uh, um, is also another piece of the puzzle. So there's a lot going on, not to mention the kind of, uh, you know, anyone who is a parent knows about the shift in roles and responsibilities, the lack of sleep, the increase in stress, and the balance between this new family uh, and the new responsibilities um, while they're still trying to manage their other responsibilities like work and, and other things in, uh, to, to move their life forward. So it's, it's a complicated mix, um, but I think we are starting to get some good information on the importance of understanding the risks of um, postpartum depression for fathers or the non-birth parent as well. You, men you mentioned these hormonal changes, the drop in testosterone, the rise in cortisol. Can you talk about cortisol? That's a stress hormone, right? Yeah, so we actually did a, a we, we do a lot of our work in the neonatal intensive care unit with parents of premature infants. Um, so just to kind of give a little background, we know that mothers in general will have about a 10 to 15% um, prevalence of postpartum depression. Fathers will have about a seven to 15%. When you have a premature infant, that actually goes up remarkably with mothers having about a 30 to 40% uh, prevalence of postnatal depression and fathers somewhere between two and 20%. We're still learning about that in the research, but we actually had an interesting study where we had parents spit into a tube, which is how we measured the cortisol levels um, in their saliva. And we had them when they were in the neonatal intensive care unit, spit in a tube. And then when they went home, spit into a tube. And what was interesting about that study was the first time that we had looked at what happens with father's cortisol, that stress hormone, as they transition into um, home from being in the NICU. And both mothers and fathers had high levels of cortisol in their saliva, high levels of that stress hormone in the NICU. And when they went home, moms remained high, dads actually got higher. And we huh. hadn't even expected that. Um, and when we asked them actually to fill out on pen and paper, whether they were feeling stressed, not that they were physiologically stressed, but just, are you feeling stressed at this moment? Um, they weren't correlated. So dads weren't reporting that they were feeling stressed, yet when we looked at them physiologically through their saliva, they actually were experiencing stress. So I think there's a lot of trying to get in touch with what's happening to um, mothers and fathers, but particularly fathers, because we haven't studied them very much previously as they transition into, into fatherhood. And, and how long does this tend to last? Is there a peak period, kind of like with maternal postpartum depression? Yeah, usually we'll peak kind of in the middle of the of the first year, um, and usually, hopefully, we'll um, come uh, to kind of a, a better place um, within that first year of life. The implications are are kind of important if we think about it. You know, as a pediatrician, I think about the child and the child's well being. Um, Dads who are depressed are less likely to engage with the child. They're, they're more likely to um, spank or use physical punishment with the child and less likely to do you know, the positive things that we all love about having children, read to them, play with them and engage with them. So it has a huge effect on, on the family overall. Yeah, probably less likely to help the birthing parent as well. <laughs> that too, yeah. I want to bring uh, Chris Gibson into the conversation. Chris is a family advocate and coordinator of Cafe Dad with the Alameda County Health Department. Chris Gibson, welcome. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate having you on. And it sounds like you recently experienced some of the things uh, Dr. Garfield, Craig Garfield is talking about. Um, can you describe what your situation has been, what you have felt after the birth of your now six-month-old baby? Yes. Um... 
for me, it came out as frustration. And I didn't even at the time correlate it with uh, postpartum depression. Um, I have a two-year-old. And so trying to manage my two-year-old and my six-month-old well, at the time, my newborn, was very difficult. Um, I have a two-year-old. He was just running all over the place, you know, very active, very <laughs> engaging. Um, and so doing that, along with trying to work from home, became very frustrating frustrating for me. Um, it was it was to the point to where um, I noticed that when my wife would get home from work, I had to leave because I was just so frustrated with just trying to uh, deal with my two-year-old, trying to, you know, deal with my one-month-old, changing diapers, feeding him bottles, feeding him bottles, changing diapers all day. It, it got to the point to where I was just ready to pull out my hair. Um, and looking back over, I really didn't believe that it was postpartum, but now, you know, as I'm able to settle into it a little bit more, I, I believe it was. What convinced you that it was, or what makes you believe that now? Um, just, just the feeling, just the feeling of, of having, um, well, in one of our uh, programs that we offer, one of the services that we offer is a boot camp for new dads. And one of the things that we tell fathers is to how to identify it in women and not just to look for the sadness, right? Uh -huh. When we think of depression, we think of somebody moping, somebody feeling sad. Well, it, it comes out in different areas. It comes out differently. And for men, just typically anger comes out differently. Um, happiness come out differently. And so for me, I, I had to take a step back and look at it like this could very well be postpartum depression. Now, I've never, I've never went and talked to a psychologist or therapist or anything like that. But just identifying what I'm telling people to look for it kind of registered for me like, wow, I think I've really experienced this. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then when you are talking with men in your group and you were talking about how it can present differently, I was struck by some of the descriptions that you have given in terms of anger showing up through anger, for example, and even through avoidance. Can you describe what you mean by that? Yeah, so so you get to the point to where you don't even want to deal with your wife. You don't want to deal with the children. Um, I had one particular case where the guy just he he just didn't want to go home. You know, it was you know I I I couldn't deal with the crying. I couldn't deal with my wife. Um, um, you know, talking to me a certain way. I couldn't deal with changing diapers, getting up in the middle of the night. Right? He was just like Chris. I don't want to go home. And I'm mm -hmm. like, man, like you really need to talk to somebody because these are symptoms of postpartum depression and it's common in men. So um, when we look at certain things like that, we have to be aware that, you know, if we allow these things to continue, you know, it can be very detrimental to our families and to our children. It's so interesting because this is something that you ha talk to, to people about and you yourself experienced experienced it even with all that you know like it still hit you which gives a sense of just how powerful it can be right it's it no no man is exempt <laughs> right no <laughs> man is exempt from from this this is something it just comes um and i think the thing is uh, like me a lot of men don't recognize it they feel the frustration they feel the stress as dr garfield has said um they feel um, all of these different emotions, but they never correlated to postpartum depression. 
It's it's always I, I need to go to the weight room because I'm just not feeling okay. I need to go play basketball or I need to go, you know, to the bar or something like that. But it's never correlated with postpartum depression. Mm. It's probably well, I have extra stress at work or uh, I have some other family uh, issues going on, but never associated with the postpartum depression. And I think if we can get men to connected to, we can begin to, to identify a lot sooner. Just like the good doctor said, when they went home, the stress levels went up, um, but they, but they still didn't correlate it with postpartum depression. It was just, I'm stressed. Yeah. So, so that's one of the things that we're really working on uh, men and getting them to identify. So once you did identify Chris, like what helped you? You know what the biggest thing that helped me was I gave into it. Um, and, and for me, the biggest portion of it was I was trying to work from home and manage my two-year-old and manage my, my, at the month, at the time, three-month-old, four-month-old. Um, and so a, a situation happened. We have both of our boys in daycare and the daycare shut down because of COVID. And so they went through the protocol of, um, you know, I, uh, um, uh, quarantining, um, and they have to close down for 14 days. So in those 14 days, in those two weeks, I was still trying to work. And what gave me the biggest was just, hey, look, I'm going to take off. When they're here, I'm going to take off and I'm going to give in and I'm going to be this full-time dad. And so the biggest thing for me was giving in and actually doing some of the things that my that my children would do in daycare. So working with my numbers, with my two-year-old, working with his colors and his ABCs, um, going out for a walk, letting him get some sunshine, let him play at the park. And I found out that when I did that, the stress levels went down because I wasn't trying to do three or four different things and multitask. I was focused solely on rearing my children. Well, Chris Gibson, I'm so glad to hear about your experience and appreciate you coming on to share it today. Are there any resources that you want to share just because you do have this support group that I don't know that a lot of people are aware of? Yeah, so uh, I work for Alameda County Fatherhood Initiative. We are based in um, San Leandro, California. Uh, currently, we are offering an anger management group. We have a Cafe Dad, which is a, a parenting skills and parenting education group, which uh, which we offer in English and Spanish. It is giving. Uh, it is held every second in fourth Wednesday of the month, starting in September, and that is free to any father. Um, yes, we have a high priority for Alameda County fathers, but it, um, I've had guys from LA and Texas and New York join, um, and they are more than welcome. Um, and then also we have our boot camp for new dad, which is um, on August 21st, um, and that's from 12 to 2. And if mm. you need anything, you can email me at Christopher.Gibson at acgov.org. Oh, well, thanks, Chris Gibson. So glad to have you on. Uh, and we will have more after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about paternal postpartum depression, what it is and why it's often underdiagnosed. 
We're talking with Craig Garfield, professor of pediatrics at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine and director of the Family and Child Health Innovations Program at Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago. Just before the break, we said goodbye to Chris Gibson, a family advocate and coordinator of the support group Cafe Dad at Alameda County Public Health Department. And you, our listeners, are with us. What are your questions or reactions to what you're hearing? Are you a dad who felt depressed after the birth of a child? How did you cope? Or do you know someone who struggled after a child was born? Did you seek professional treatment or support? You can give us a call at 866-733-6786 if you want to share your story or have any questions. 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email us at forum at kqed.org. Also joining us is Olajide Bamashikbin, health psychologist and assistant professor of psychology at California State University, Long Beach. Professor Bamashikbin, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Also with us is Will Courtney, a therapist and author of Dying to be Men, Psychosocial, Environmental, and Biobehavioral Directions in Promoting the Health of Men and Boys. Dr. Will Courtney, glad to have you on with us as well. Thank you, Mina. It's a pleasure to be with you. So one of the things that I, I've noticed is that a lot of the studies and so on have focused mostly on men and opposite sex relationships. But do you see the applications of studying paternal postpartum depression being relevant to adoptive parents of newborns, for example, or same-sex couples or non-birthing parents and other kinds of relationships? So um, in terms of what we know about um same-sex couples and um, adoptive parents, frankly, unfortunately, it's, it's not a lot. Um, mm. In my research of over 4,000 dads, we did find that being an adoptive parent was not associated uh, in particular with becoming depressed. So, but there are a lot of other factors that are certainly important to address. And I think um, probably one of the biggest things are, are sort of the, the, cons the most consistent psychological themes among fathers is um, with postpartum depression from a you know therapist perspective is is really uh, really um, a history of trauma or loss um, and you know for many men becoming a father is really the first time that they think about their own experiences as a child so even if they're not fully conscious or aware of it old feelings oftentimes get stirred up when men become fathers mm -hmm. and when you throw into that the stress of um you know all of the things that chris was talking about um and you throw that into the mix and then also you know the lack of sleep um which is why for example as, as craig mentioned you know with with um premature babies or colicky babies where parents are getting much less sleep, um, those parents are more prone to postpartum depression. No surprise because along with all of those hormonal changes that are going on, uh, there's also the neurochemical changes that result from sleep deprivation. And we know that healthy adults can, who go without good sleep for a month can start to show clinical signs of depression. So mm. you throw all of that into the mix um, and then all, all of these sort of old things about being a kid, a child. Um, you know, we see, for example, um, the, the men who are the first child or the oldest child oftentimes are at greater risk of depression. And that's because, um, you know, 
part of what happens there when a kid is like three, four or five and he's the only child and he's like the, you know, the apple of his mother's eye and has her full attention 24 seven. And then suddenly this baby comes along and all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's on his own um, it, it, or yeah. can feel that way. And so what often happens is this plays out with men and their partners. So again, in my, my research of, um, of dads, we found that, um, that over half of men were describing um, that they didn't feel as loved as much as they did before the child was born, loved by their partner. Um, so it really brings up a lot. It, it, it does. And you know, one of the things, Mina, is you, is you, I'm sure you've heard many times is that, you know, people don't tell couples what, um, I think new parents learn very quickly is that parent, parenthood changes everything. Um, and it really does. And it changes the dynamic and the, uh, the couple relationship, um, and it changes the relationship, you know, it's, the, it's suddenly now a group dynamic. And so that changes things really dramatically. Um, so, and this can also happen, we have to presume, again, not a lot of research coming back to your original question about, say, for example, same-sex parents, but we have to assume the same things are playing out with same-sex couples. Um, yeah. Well, uh, Professor Olajide Bamashigbin, I'm hearing Will Courtney talking about some of the triggers and some of the things that come up for people through their lived experiences that contribute to paternal postpartum depression. You've studied this as well. Can you talk about who you studied and what you found? Absolutely. Um, so once again, thank you for having me and thank you to Chris and Craig and Will for all your great comments. And I want to reiterate a lot of the things that they're saying. Um, my research mostly focuses on Black and low-income fathers um, and Hispanic low-income fathers as well. And a lot of the research just shows that, you know, it's really hard being poor and being a dad and being a member of a minoritized racial ethnic group, you know, um, because parenthood already is hard. You know, that first year of life is so, so difficult, right? That's, that's the time of life when a dad is most likely to be depressed, right, is the first year during a child's life. And as Craig said, around that six-month period is around the peak, you know, so it's really hard. Now, on top of that, having to deal with lack of income, which can be used to find daycare, find support for you to be able to support the baby and mom or dad or the other parent in other ways, it's really hard. Then being, um, you know, black, right? Um, and dealing with racism that occurs in our society, that makes it so, so much harder. So um, I completed this study with the Community Child Health Network, which was funded by the National Institute of Health. And we looked at fathers across the first year of their child's life. And we found in 300 black dads that dads who experienced more racism, okay, the first month after their child's life showed an increase in depressive symptoms about a year later, right? So there's even a long, mm. you know, process of how these things can impact you. And this is controlling for a whole bunch of other factors like, you know, income, education, the typical thing. So it really, really matters because fatherhood is hard, but then there's just the extra stressors that come with being poor or being minoritized. And Pete tweets this listener, what about the effect on children born into a depressive environment? Uh, Shigma, you looked at how, how men will often be, or that 
one of the indicators of whether somebody will be susceptible to postpartum depression is whether or not the mom or birthing parent is depressed as well, correct? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. The, the, the strongest predictors of paternal depression are a history of depression, you know, as was mentioned before, and if the mom is depressed, right? So there's a really, really strong correlation between, you know, this person that you're living with, right, being depressed because you interact with them on a daily basis, right? And if they're depressed and, you know, they're unhappy, there's no doubt that it can absolutely rub off on you, you know, and it, um, and it transmits back and forth. Well, Ajide Bamashigbin is health psychologist and assistant professor of psychology at California State University, Long Beach. Well, Courtney is a therapist and author of Dying to Be Men. Craig Garfield is with us, professor of pediatrics at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine. And you can join us by emailing us forum at kqed.org, posting your comments or questions on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. And you can always call us 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Aran tweets, can you explain more about the drop in testosterone? I was a stay-at-home dad for both of my kids' infancies, and I noticed changes in my mood that I suspected were a loss of testosterone, but I had no idea how that would have happened. Dr. Garfield, do you have any thoughts for Aran? I think this is one of the uh, more interesting things to um, evolve in the last decade or so is an understanding of um, what's happening hormonally for parents. And um, some of that good work has actually come out of Northwestern University where they looked at a large Filipino sample and looked at levels of testosterone um, in men after they had given birth, exactly like the, 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 the listener um, commented. And the theory from an anthropological point of view is that that drop in testosterone is actually beneficial to um, the family, really when you think about it from a family unit, uh, because um, if your testosterone is high, you're ready, you know, uh, evolutionarily to go out and fight a war. But if you just had a child, it's probably not a good thing to go out and fight a war. It's better for you to be home and kind of do a little bit of that nesting that, that we always talk about. Um, and so the, there's been that study and others have pointed to this drop in testosterone that may be biologically advantageous from an evolutionary point of view to families as they continue to grow and invest in that new child that has just come along. Whether now, I, I think underneath his question is, what can you do about it? Um, I think, uh, you know, a lot of those changes in hormone is just um, understanding what's happening to your body, understanding what's happening when you make this transition into fatherhood um, and trying to be gentle with yourself, um, being real with your partner, married or not married. And um, Jade brings up a lot of good points about um uh, what, what we see in um, fathers who may be not cohabiting with their uh, with the with the child and the and the, and the mother, huh. um, but nonetheless these changes are still happening in those families. So being aware of that um, and pulling in your support system, like Chris talked about earlier, it may be that it's your support system of your friends and family and brothers and uncles and grandparents and things that, that you can talk about this with, or it may be looking outside of your family into the greater community for for some help and support during that transition. Well, listener Alan writes, much of this sounds like the routine stress of having small kids. It's not new. Dr. Courtney, how do you distinguish between, say, what's been called like daddy blues uh, versus postpartum depression? So with, with the daddy blues, that would be um, 
it, it, it's just less extreme. So someone with a daddy blues is going to feel better when he goes out, you know, when he goes to the gym, goes out for lunch with a friend, something like that. Gets with, enough with, sleep, I guess. Yeah. Or gets enough sleep. Absolutely. So, but with, with depression, you know, symptoms are more severe, but as you know, Chris mentioned earlier, you know, it doesn't always look um, like somebody, you know, sad and crying, although we do see that in men, of course, but it can also look more like avoidance. So men who are working constantly, um, or as he said, isolating. Um, so what's, what's really important is to sort of get to the root of why men are avoiding depression. We know from lots of research that men are more likely than women to avoid depression. And some of the ways that they do that actually compounds it. So they avoid it by drinking more, for example, and that just compounds the depression. Do you think that uh, there are a lot of pervasive social and cultural norms or gender norms that work against men that contribute to this, uh, Will oh, Courtney? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And what are some examples? Well, I mean, the, probably the biggest example is just this sort of widespread cultural myth that men just don't get depressed. And that's a very powerful myth. In fact, it's so powerful that we know that even trained mental health clinicians are less likely to correctly diagnose depression in men than in women. Um, so that part of that, what that myth tells us and tells men is that men shouldn't be depressed, um, that it's not manly to be depressed. That's what that myth conveys to men. And so when they feel depressed or they feel sad, they do everything they can to avoid it. Um, and again, lots of those things, you know, whether it's increased gambling, increased drinking, uh, we see an increase in reckless kind of behavior. Um, these are all ways to avoid depression that can just end up compounding it. Did you hear or see allusions as well to, you know, just pervasive stereotypes and ideas that were compounding the issue, Olajide Bamashigbin, in the in the men that you spoke with and studied? Uh, could you say that one more time? Did you see the same thing in terms of pervasive sort of gender norms or stereotypes compounding the issue, the stresses, and potentially the depression that new fathers were feeling in among the people you studied? A absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, and definitely, I noticed a lot of racial stereotypes that impact fathers. You know, huh. so um, particularly for particularly black men, there are stereotypes that black men are uninvolved, absent dad, they don't, they, 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 they're deadbeats, right? They don't like to engage with their children, right? Um, and, but that's actually not true, okay? That actually is a myth. The same way that men don't get depressed is a myth, the idea that men, black men don't engage with their children is also a myth, right? It's just not true. Um, but that's something that gets into men's heads, right? And they start to internalize it or maybe believe it, right? And that leads to feelings of less self-worth and more self-esteem, absolutely. And, and Craig Garfield, one of the things that I noticed as well is also even if it is discussed when postpartum or paternal postpartum depression is raised, that there can still be quite a strong reaction to it, sort of pushing back on the idea, even anger that it's something that's getting attention when maternal postpartum depression, for example, is still something that, while yes, widely known to occur, isn't necessarily a super well-researched well, well -researched. And, and women's health generally hasn't been. 
I, I think that's a huge point, Mina. There, I've worked with thousands of dads. I've yet to meet a dad who doesn't first want to do right by his baby and second, feel like he needs to kind of um, shoulder the entire family. So he needs to have that stiff upper lip. He needs to just soldier on into being a parent um, because he that was what he was socialized to do or what he feels his responsibilities are with this new family. So if he suddenly is starting to feel and is in touch with the fact that maybe he is a little depressed, maybe he is anxious, maybe he's not sleeping, doesn't have an appetite, isn't connecting like he used to be, isn't excited on balance, not every moment, not every moment of being a dad or a mom is glorious, that's for sure. But on balance, if he's still not feeling some joy in having this baby, um, he doesn't really want to bring it up. His partner just went through this birth um, and he doesn't know where to turn to. And so he must just kind of, I'm just going to keep moving on and, and I'll be the strong one here. And when you actually start to see this, and we see it a lot in the neonatal intensive care unit, where there starts to be a little crack in that armor and the dad will let you in, what they're experiencing is really heartbreaking because they aren't feeling good about um, themselves about this baby, about their relationship, about this change and what's happening. And that can go deep, as Will has mentioned, um, into lots of things that they haven't talked about before. So it can often be the tip of the iceberg. Um, yeah. And I should mention that that while we are talking about fathers, um, it's only in um, recently that we've been starting to focus more on fathers and trying to understand how to bring them into um, the family, how to bring them into the research. We are also at the very beginning of understanding what happens in same-sex couples and what happens um, in adoptive couples. We are just sadly behind. Um, and part of that is because most of our research has taken a very dyadic mother-infant approach, including the way that we fund things with um, uh, you know, maternal and child health um, or women and infant and children. It really, even from those titles of these massive programs that have been in place for decades, uh, exclude men from that, from that conceptualization. Well, Arlene, and, and, yes, and go ahead. Just, mm -hmm. uh, just to follow up on what Craig was saying, well, that, Courtney, you know, we we we're we're expecting, you know, I think as we all can see around us, we're expecting dads to be much more involved in parenting than ever before. And most dads say they want to be involved in parenting, but they also say they're unprepared for it. So they really don't know what an evolved father looks like. Oftentimes they had fathers who had a completely hands-off approach to parenting. So, so they're models. Yeah. That leaves new dads really uncertain about what to do. And that uncertainty can quickly lead to anxiety, as Craig was describing. And we know that anxiety postpartum can often lead to, to depression. Well, we'll have more with therapist Will Courtney, health psychologist Olajide Bamashigbin, and professor of pediatrics Craig Garfield after the break. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Tomorrow on Forum, historian and New Yorker staff writer Jelani Cobb joins us. We'll talk about his new HBO documentary, Obama, in pursuit of a more perfect union. And we'll talk about his new re-examination of the 1968 Kerner Commission report on race inequality and police violence. To listen to past shows and subscribe to our podcast, visit kqed.org forum. For the latest updates on our programs and guests, find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We're at KQED Forum.
We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about paternal postpartum depression. A growing body of research is shedding light on depression in fathers and what can contribute to it. And we're talking with Dr. Craig Garfield, professor of pediatrics at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine, and Olajide Bamashigbin, health psychologist and assistant professor of psychology at California State University, Long Beach, and Will Courtney, therapist and author of Dying to Be Men, Psychosocial, Environmental, and Biobehavioral Directions in Promoting the Health of Men and Boys. And you, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation with your reactions or questions, or maybe you are a non-birthing partner, parent, who, or know someone who is, who struggled after their child was born. 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch also on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Brittany writes, can you touch on how moms can compound or worsen men's mental state? I know many moms who basically don't allow dad to do anything after the baby is born. Grandmas often don't help either. We need an active effort to avoid this, but it seems quite common. Well, Ajita Bamashikbin, wondering if you have any thoughts on this. I think I have heard this referred to before in the past of just how like a moms or birthing parents can kind of inhibit, not necessarily meaning to, uh, their partner playing an active role in their child's lives. I think I've seen heard it referred to as maternal gatekeeping. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what the what it is referred to as. It's called maternal gatekeeping, and it can be an intentional or unintentional, oftentimes unintentional, kind of restricting of the father's access to the child. And that is a phenomenon that happens in many, you know, hetero hetero relationships, and it impacts dad and impacts the children as well. Yes. And uh, well, Courtney, do you have any thoughts on this? Um, Yes, you know, uh, um, what effect it has that you find in in therapy? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have to just remember that, you know, these new moms are raised in the same society we all are. And we do, there is this sort of expectation that a husband or male partner is going to be the solid rock for the new mom and for his new family. Um, And so, you know, it's very easy for women then to just feel sort of disappointed um, and frustrated that their male partner is not able to kind of step up and that really can again sort of compound problems for dads Um, yes you were talking about sort of the 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 feeling the competency piece of this that's important i mean craig garfield you i i think even in terms of personal experience from being a dad yourself kind of remember the effect of not feeling like you knew how to be a dad (laughs) can you talk a little bit about that yeah, yeah. When I finished my training in um, my pediatric residency at Mass General Hospital in, in, in Boston, um, I then spent a year at home with my 18-month-old. And that, as a pediatrician, 
was probably as equally eye-opening as my three years of medical training uh, to be a pediatrician. Um, and it really took a while for me to feel confident in caring for my baby. And um, I now really talk to every dad that I come across and say, you know, you, you need some time alone with this baby. Um, short of never shaking a baby, which, which can permanently damage a baby, there are very few lasting mistakes that you might make. You might put a diaper on backwards. The baby might poop or pee and it might get all over the, the bed. Um, but overall, um, having that time alone with the baby without mom there, without grandma there, so that you can learn what are your secret tricks that you're going to do to soothe your baby, to play with your baby, to engage with your baby, and start to feel comfortable. And there's good research that shows the more time that you can spend with the baby early on, the more involved the dads will be when the baby's 9, 10, 11, 12 months old. Um, so it really goes back to the beginning. And like we say in Chicago, get in early, get in often. Um, that's in terms of voting. But in terms of engagement with the baby, the more time dads can spend feeling comfortable without being watched over their shoulder, I think the more that pays off down the road. And that's what I would suggest to Brittany uh, and mothers like her who, uh, or other mothers who are trying to be an inter uh, intercept the dads between the baby and the dad. Mm, if it has shown through studies, and I think also GDA Bamashigbin's study also found that interacting with the baby as much as possible, being as involved as much as possible early in its life is key to uh, avoiding paternal postpartum depression. What implications, Craig Garfield, does that have for paternity leave? Yeah, so I think as obviously we're in a big discussion and have been for a number of years about um, uh, how we deal with paternity leave, how we deal with an equitable uh, parental leave and um, being able to have that time with that baby during this huge transition um, pays off big time down, down the road for families and even for, for workplaces. Um, if you have a parent who is more um, alert and engaged in the workplace, they're going to be able to actually give you more work, but they can't do that if they're thinking about this new baby that they just had. So we know in Scandinavia that when they went to uh, two weeks, use it or lose it, um, paternity leave paid that 90% of dads took advantage of that. It had been about 10 to 20% before they went into this use it or lose it phase. Um, we have nothing like that in the United States. Yet we know from our research that dads who took more leave in the, you took two or more weeks of leave in the, at the time of the baby was born are three times more likely to be involved when the baby's nine months old in things like diapering, bathing, changing, dressing the baby, reading to the baby. So the payoff is so big. Um, if we can have dads find feasible ways through our policies and through our workplaces to be at home when the baby's born, to learn that confidence, it pays off tenfold or more down the road in terms of their involvement and understanding their baby, their partner and that new family and how to help that family grow and also get the, get the benefit themselves of becoming a father. Well, Arlene writes, as an adoptive mother and a pediatrician, I can say that non-birth parent PPD is real. Thinking about Arlene articulating that it is real, um, though in her case as an adoptive mother, it is reminding me, um, Professor Bamashikbin, about some of the comments that I've seen, even on very recent stories related to paternal postpartum depression, 
um, that really do question the reality of the existence of it. The last month there was a piece by the New York Times, a new parent talking about her husband's postpartum depression. And one of the comments, and there were several along these lines, said that calling it postpartum depression is not only accurate, but harmful to women who do experience postpartum depression. Whatever dad's experience, this person wrote, they do not face the tremendous hormonal and other body changes and physical injuries caused by pregnancy and childbirth. Those differences make a huge difference. I know you read that piece and read some of those comments, and I'm wondering what your reaction to those were, uh, G-Day. Yeah, I, I did read the, that piece and those comments. And, you know, I was really disappointed by it, but I wasn't surprised by it, you know? So and I remember even one of the comments said that, you know, the men aren't depressed. They're just sad because, you know, in the six week after having a baby, they're not able to have sex with the mom anymore, right? Or they're not getting the attention from mom anymore, right? And it, that was really just like disappointing because, I mean, even just take out the father part about this. Anybody who's depressed saying that they're doing it for attention is wrong. Okay, that's just not a polite or correct thing to say, right? But even in this context, yes, mothers do, or birthing parents, you know, do physically give birth to the child, right? And that comes with certain hormonal changes and whatnot. But all depression is not hormonal, right? Every, every person who's depressed isn't going to show the exact same uh, neurochemical activity or hormonal activity, right? Sometimes it's a social stressor, right? Or an outside traumatic stressor that impacts you. And that's what parenthood is. You know, so those comments were really disappointing. And it just shows really the lack of understanding about men and men's mental health and going to, you know, Will's point that he was mentioning, like men are not allowed to be depressed. Right. And it's just really unfortunate. Well, another comment that was made, which I'm curious to get your reaction to, Craig Garfield, was in a world where men constantly demand to be accepted in women's spaces, inhabit their bodies, and take over their competitions, I suppose I should be unsurprised that a moody male who isn't getting enough attention would appropriate a real and serious women's condition. And while I, I, I don't necessarily agree, one of the things that I think this comment gets at is just the broader norm that has demanded and asked um, women, Craig Garfield, to take up so much more of the childcare to, and then in the pandemic and the childcare dearth that we've seen, we have seen that disproportionately shouldered by women. Do you hear some of that frustration coming through um, when you hear resistance to focusing on paternal postpartum depression? I, I mean, I, I, I hear what that, uh, that commenter is saying, um, and it is very interesting to um, have this reverse gender bias um, because it is one of the few places um, in society where it does exist, really. Um, and I think we uh, fathers have benefited from the push by women to get um, uh, equality in the workforce that has then led to better leave than we had before, that has led to um, hopefully kind of a better acceptance of the, of the importance of family in, in work. Um, so I think we have benefited from all that hard work that the feminist movement and women in general have done, but it's not a zero sum. It really is something that we can all come to together what I love about pediatrics is that we triangulate around the desires of the mom, the desires of the dad for the well-being of the baby. And I think we can all agree that um, while we don't have equality throughout the whole society, if we all want what's best for the baby, which is what every mother and father I've ever met wants, um, then we can do things a little bit different. We have to acknowledge, as today has been talking about, the changes that are happening to, to some men as they transition into fatherhood 
that really benefit the whole family when we can address them. Um, and we are by no means equal across anything, but I think this is a place that um, the strides that women have made have really been beneficial to, to men. Uh, and we still need to move forward and make these improvements for the benefit of the baby and the family. Again, Craig Garfield, Director of the Family and Child Health Innovations Program at Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago and Professor of Pediatrics at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine. Olajite Baba Shigbin, Health Psychologist and Assistant Professor of Psychology at Cal State University, Long Beach. Will Courtney, therapist and author of Dying to Be Men, Psychosocial, Environmental, and Biobehavioral Directions in Promoting the Health of Men and Boys. And you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to Kimberly in San Francisco. Hi, Kimberly. Hi there. Hi, what would you like to share? Well, dovetailing on what your wonderful uh, guests are talking about, my husband and I were weirdly blessed after the birth of our son that I really needed to do a lot of bed rest. Um, and we, you know, everybody's fine now, but my husband ended up doing the literal heavy lifting with our child and all the diaper changes and everything because I was supposed to be laying flat recovering. And um, our families are far away, as is typical for a lot of families in San Francisco. So we had several weeks where he was doing everything but breastfeeding. <laughs> and mm. that embedded in him this confidence and this bond with our son. You know, we, neither of us had ever had a child before. So we were equally ignorant about what to do. And I think if I had been in a physical position to do maternal gatekeeping, um, it would have really interfered with a beautiful bond and confidence that still is flourishing with our four-year-old now, you know. Oh, Kimberly, so, well, that, that's such a great story. I think I, I should also say we're blessed, too, that um, my husband had good modeling and saw feminism in his upbringing and had paternal leave, and, and it made it possible for him to feel confident to step into those things. But being thrown into it, um, just as we all are as new parents, um, enabled him to feel he had a place, you know, he was really needed. Yeah, that's such a great that's such a great point. And well, Courtney, I'm wondering how do you advise men in your practice to get more involved in parenting early on? So, well, certainly that involvement, um, you know, as we've been speaking to, is really, really important. So, when, when fathers are depressed and they can't be involved, we we know that that leads to to negative and long-term effects on the psychological, social, and behavioral development of his children. And that's especially true for boys. And we see this in, uh, see this in children as young as two, all the way through adolescence and into young adulthood. So that involvement is really important. And um, as, you know, I think Jade and, and Craig both spoke to, you know, it's really, it is really important that yeah. a mother is supportive of her partner being involved. Um, yeah. And, and Craig, you know, yeah, go ahead. Well, just part of, you know, there is a lot of pressure on women to be in, in our culture, to be like a good mom. So, you know, part of that maternal gatekeeping is about needing, feeling a need to kind of demonstrate that they're a good mom and to be involved. And so sometimes that leads to a lack of involvement of dad. Right. But that involvement is really, as we know, is really critical for those kids' development. And Craig Garfield, what are some strategies or examples that you, you offer the non-birthing parent? 
Yeah, I think I think there's there's really two approaches that I think are important when we think about this. One is from the healthcare system in general, we need to do a better job of understanding that the non-birthing parent is going through these changes. There is no excuse not to be implementing screening like we do for mothers in throughout the healthcare system. There are good measures out there. Um, the Edinburgh Postpartum Depression Scale, the PHQ-9, the Gottman Depression Scale. There's a number of uh, measures that you can give to partners. And then we need to know what when someone does screen positive, what we do with them. That's from the healthcare side. From the society side, I think dads themselves have to be honest with themselves about what they're going through, share that first with the partner. But then in general, we all know people who are fathers in our lives. And if we can reach out to them, ask how they're doing with that transition of fatherhood, and just listen, I think we can start to make some progress. And let me go to caller Charles in Walnut Creek, see if I can get Charles in here. Charles, join us. How's it going, guys? Great. So I wanted to touch on the fact that, like, so this is multiple points. The depression in new fathers, um, the, the the want and the need and the feel to take care of their family. But, like, I was a chef in San Francisco. I spent two and a half years in school all over the states. I spent a long time learning to do what I needed to do, working for Famous and Michelin stars. And then I lost my job during covid I, my career, my benefits, everything. I, before my baby was even born, I spent a couple months begging for unemployment. couldn't figure it out. And then my baby was born and I was still in the transition mm -hmm. of getting a new job and figuring things out. I felt I couldn't compare or even take care of my family. Mm -hmm. Charles, thanks for sharing that. And, you know, what you're talking about reminds me of what you were saying, uh, Professor Obama Shikbin, about just the structural factors that really contribute to people's experience of fatherhood and the hardships that it can be. Absolutely. So um, thank you for sharing. I'm really sorry to hear that. You know, um, it's, it's really tough. You know, uh, part of my research has shown that one role that fathers really, really take seriously is the role of protector and provider in the family, you know? Um, so we found that fathers who were more, who spent more time with their kids were less depressed, right? We found that fathers who showed greater paternal self-efficacy, right? So feeling like able to change diapers, you know, handle bottles, you know, do all these things were less depressed as was discussed a little bit earlier. And the third thing we found was that fathers who were able to provide more tangible support, such as diapers, milk, you know, blah, blah, you know, those types of things were also less depressed. So, you know, the Unfortunately, yes. having a job impacts those things, right? So I'm really sorry to hear that. And I understand how that larger structural factor of unemployment really impacts dads, you know, you really, impacts their role in the family. You really do get to pointing to some larger structural potential solutions. Well, I want to thank you, Olajide Bamashigbin, Craig Garfield, and Will Courtney for joining us today. And end on this comment from Josh, who writes, I'm a father of an extremely premature baby who came home just before the pandemic. The depression for me manifested in a numbness and anger that I never had before. My wife and I were both working from home and raising our child alone. It was incredibly stressful. Thank you for this conversation. It is extremely validating to know that I was not alone. Thank you also to Grace One for producing today's segment. Thank you for listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.